You're listening to Inside Acting. To find out more and make a donation, visit InsideActingPodcast.com. Hello and welcome to episode 72 of Inside Acting. I'm AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Elgott. And on this podcast, we interview writers, directors, agents, actors, casting directors, producers, anyone involved in the entertainment industry, and package it up into this podcast and bring it to an internet near you. And we're just two dudes with a podcast. We don't pretend to know everything. We definitely don't know everything. So if you guys have hear something on the podcast that you want to add your two cents to, maybe that you disagree with or just want to chime in on... Lots of ways to do that. Just hit us up at InsideActingPodcast.com to get started. And uh, on this episode, we have um, the first part of a two-part interview with um, the amazing Anthony Mindell. I, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to spoil too much, but we uh, we almost don't talk about acting in this interview, and it's all the better for it. So stay tuned for that. Okay, so hey everybody, how's it going? What's up, dude? What's up, buddy? <laughs> What's going on? You, we're uh, we're at episode seventy-two now. I know, man. It's kind I know. Of, uh, kind of a noodle baker. One bit. One hundred approacheth. I know. I know, sir. We got to do something special for seventy-five. I think and 70, episode 100. seventy-five is three episodes away. We gotta get cracking. Uh, yeah, I know. We've already got uh, we've already got enough interviews lined up for really almost the remainder of the summer. I mean, I feel like we're yeah. We should be able to hit uh, a nice release schedule pretty consistently for the next three months or so. Yeah, listeners around the world are going. I know. Well, we hope so. <laughs> if they haven't stopped listening by now, right? They're like those guys. Suck. They just kind of disappeared for a while, but uh, it was all for a good reason. So literally um, around the world, actually, you just looked up. Uh, yeah, we looked it up. We have listeners in Hong Kong, um, Canada, uh, the U.S. Obviously, God, now I'm drawing a blank on what the others Fra- were. France, was, France was a, according a good to chunk. the numbers, Germany. like actually, you know, coming in strong behind the yeah. United States. And then 17 percent of our listeners come from other. So we don't know where the rest of you are. Whether you're <laughs> I've never been to that country. Not, <laughs> yeah. What, what um, country is other? Or yeah, or yeah, may, universe, maybe it's planet. Yeah, yeah you never know. There you never know. Listeners on Mars. The internet is forever. <laughs> In many ways. So what's new, dude? What's, what's been going on for you this week? What's cracking? Um, I am having one of those weeks as an actor where it's like, give me the problem. I am having to make tough decisions between multiple projects. Hmm. Yeah. T- oh, mm. yeah. Tough. Tough problem. I just feel it's, horribly for uh, you. I know. I. I'd imagine. Yeah. Especially when I go into detail about them, it's it gets even more. <sighs> you I'm, just lost three hundred Twitter followers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting my hand on my forehead. <laughs> I have a callback tomorrow, actually, um, or yesterday, if we release this on Tuesday, <laughs> um, for um, this show at the Getty Villa, and it. Uh, if I'm if I get cast, it will be the fifth show I've done with the Getty Trust. I was gonna say you've uh, you're you're almost a regular there at this point. As far as I know, <clears throat> I don't know anyone who has uh, beat me in this record. I'm 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 puffing up my chest like a peacock right now. Um, 
I am the actor that has done the most shows with the Getty Trust because I've done one at the Getty Center and three at the Getty Villa. Um, and I don't think any other actor has done that. Um, that's so freaking cool. I man. know, I know. And I went, so when I saw this audition, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. It's amazing. I love them. They, by the way, take such good care of their actors. Um, it's a great place to work. And um, I'm so excited to go to the callback because the original audition wasn't at the Getty, but the callback is the Getty Villa, which means that I'm going to be able to see a bunch of people I know. Um, for those of you involved in the LA theater scene, David O is doing the music and he did the music for, um, the first show I did at the Getty Villa and, um, this other show that I did, um, called the wasps, which I talked Mm -hmm. about on the podcast before. So I know him and he's going to be there and I've worked with the director before. And so it's all, all the stars are aligning for this one. It's, it's, I'm really excited. That's so huge, man. Fingers crossed. Thank you. Not that, so, not that you're going to need it, <laughs> but uh, that's great. So there's there's that one, and then what's the uh, so there's that what's the conflict, and then well, there, and then uh, a week and a half later, I have another audition for a musical, uh, one of my favorite musicals of all time. So I'm so excited. I don't think it's going up in a big venue, so the lack of pay is kind of a drawback. But the fact that it's the musical that it is is making me interested anyway. Um, it's the Full Monty. Oh, which, no way. Yes, which I love. And I sing songs from it at auditions all the time. And it's one of my favorite musicals. I have the whole thing memorized. And I would love, love, love to do that show. So then that would be running at the same time. So it would be like, okay, if I got an offer in one area, I'd have to choose. And then, totally out of the blue, and I told you this story, I got an offer to go to Australia for two weeks to do a one-time only performance of this show that um, a friend of mine is putting together over there. And this is a cool... You should tell this story because this was almost like... Uh, like I feel like you really employed some of the stuff you were learning in MITT to kind I, of yes, make this happen. I definitely did. So I got an email from him. Um, him being the guy setting all this up. Yeah, the yeah. producer. The producer. And he, you know, he. it wasn't... We were just catching up. We were emailing each other back and forth, actually, just saying like, hi, how are you? you know, how have you been? What are you working on? Da, da, da. And, um, just kind of catching up with one another. And he said, Oh, we're in, we're in Australia right now. We're putting together this show. And I was like, Oh, that's so cool. You're working on live theater. Cause he's a, he's a mostly does film and television and voice. I, I did voiceover work for him before. So he does voiceover production stuff as well. So the fact that he was doing live theater, I was like, that's so amazing. You're working on this. Like, um, you know, I wish I was in Australia so, to be able to support you guys. <laughs> And he comes back with, well, it's funny that you say that because <laughs> we're actually looking to cast this male role. And a lot of people, yeah. I've met a lot of people that are involved with this production and they they were all thinking of you and want you to be the guy to do it. And I was like, you do realize I was not pitching myself when I said this. And um, and he was like, no, I totally get it. It's just that, you know, we're very excited and we'd love, if you're interested, to, to have you over. And then that show would conflict with... um. Uh, would conflict with the other two. So either the, of them, yeah, either of them. So th- yeah. th- that's why it's like kind of you know a juggle. But in terms of employing my new ways of being and the way that I'm showing up in the world, I there were a couple of things that were considerations for me in terms of going over there. And ordinarily, uh, two things would have happened. One, I would have gotten really scared, like, oh, they're not going to want to work with me if I stand for myself and for the fact that I'm committed to X, Y, and Z back here in the States. And then the other thing was 
thinking that a trip to Australia to do one performance of a show is kind of like the end all be all. Do you know what I mean? Like as actors, I feel like the next job that comes along is always the best job we've ever had. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? We like to think that we way. We like to yeah. think that. Yeah. And <clears throat> so what it does is it actually, believe it or not, limits our decision-making process because we think like, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever gotten. This is the best, you know, gig that I'll ever have. And I'll never have another gig like this. When really, like if you, if you stand in your power, like I've been, you know, learning to do and just and realize that as far as my vision for my life is concerned, I'm up to much bigger things than a single performance of a play in a random province in Australia. It helps put things in perspective because then you're not coming from a place of scare scarcity. You're coming from a place of abundance. Mm -hmm. You're not thinking like I have to have this job or I'm not going to get any other jobs or I have to have this job because it's the only thing that's come along right now. And yes, obviously it helps that I have, do have this other, all this other stuff going on, but still it made me think like, okay, if this doesn't work out, it's okay. I didn't have this just like we talked about in the last episode or two. I didn't have this job before I got that email and I won't after, and that's okay. Do I want a free vacation to, uh, to, to Australia? Of course I do. Like who wouldn't? But at the same time, like I also have to think about my, my life and my career and my vision for those, for those things. And also be really clear with the fact that if I want to go to Australia, I get to go. Like it's just a matter of setting a date, you know, and setting my intention on that. And, and I, I can make that happen. Absolutely. So this isn't the only opportunity I have to be in a show and it's not the only opportunity I have to go to Australia. Yeah. So then I sent this email back and I said, I'm, I'm totally flattered. I really want to work with you guys. This sounds like an amazing opportunity. Here are some considerations I have. And they were dates and money and like all this stuff. And like I said before, that would have been a terrifying thing to do for me. Yeah. And, and of course, like everyone who lives this way will always tell you it's never a bad, the response is never a bad thing. Like it's never a bad thing. Even if it was like, Oh, we don't want to work with you. Like the people are going to be professional. They're going to be professional if you show up professional. And that's exactly what happened. They were like, you know what? We're really keen on making this work with you. So we will work around these things. We'll make it work. We'll make it happen. I remember when you told me this story the first time you were saying previous prior to all this kind of training and and learning and kind of self growth you've been doing that you would have seen these conflicts and been like, ah, well, it's just not going to work. Yeah. But this time you were like, well, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to say no to it before somebody else does. So let me just put these considerations out there. And they, it turns out that they wanted you for this project so badly that they're like, we don't care. Yeah. (laughs) We'll make it work. Yeah. Totally. Don't don't you worry about that. We basically, I think they actually did say to you almost literally, don't worry about it. We got it. Yeah. Yeah. They did. We'll we'll make it work. And, and I love that you said that because it, it did, it did require of me coming from a place of abundance, coming from a, a, a place of, I get to do it all. And if it actually doesn't work out, great. No big deal. But right now, my vision is that I get to go to Australia. I get cast in this thing at the Getty Villa. I get to do all the things that I that I am already committed to outside of those two things. And it all gets to work. And you've also got a nice uh, commercial audition tomorrow, too. Yeah, right? I have an audition for an AT&T commercial in, in the morning. So here's, here's my question <laughs> to you now. It, it feels like to me, to, from a total outsider's perspective... That, and I know that a lot of this stuff was built up over, you know, years of making relationships and working your craft and and building your reputation, Mm -hmm. but it seems a little bit like you came back from this training and bam, 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 stuff just starts happening left and right. 
Yeah. And people are like so willing to work around your um, obstacles that you have in your life, the conflicts you have, things like that, to make things work for you. Yeah. Do you think this is just a, a, a you just kind of the way you're showing up, um, and we can even get a little new agey with your vibrations and attracting things to you, or do you think this is just like mm, coincidental? I think it's a combination of things. I think that you're right in that I can't ignore the fact that, like, for instance, the thing in Australia came from a previous relationship that I built up. And, um, <clears throat> and I guess you could even say the thing at the Getty Villa, cause I made a relationship with that casting director, um, in a pre in previous auditions. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I've made relationships with, um, that theater in previous shows. So like a lot of this stuff is coming from, you know, past relationships. Absolutely. The commercial audition obviously is something sort of out of the blue. Right. Um, you know, except I do have commercial representation. That being said, the way in which I react to all of it, the way in which I handle it, that email that I sent that was like, these are my considerations and I can't do it, you know, unless we can somehow negotiate these terms, all of that stuff, that's how I'm showing up now. Mm-hmm. And if that means that I'm vibrating at a different level, if that means <laughs> that my energy is in a different place, I think it does mean that. I think it mm-hmm. does mean that my energy is a different is in a different place. Just the simple the simple statement of I'm now coming from a place of abundance as opposed to scarcity, that in and of itself is huge, huge. And it's something that I've actually brought up on the podcast before, but never been able to like put my finger on it until I did the training. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I think I was talking about it like last pilot season or the pilot season before. Uh, I think I told you like I walked into a room at Fox and it was this waiting room and off there were offshoots of this waiting room, all these different rooms that were all auditioning pilots all at the same time. So there was a casting director in each one and this room was full of actors. And I thought, you know what? I ordinarily, I would have been like, wow, there's so many actors. I'm never going to get cast because it's a total crap shoot, blah, blah, blah. But for some reason, when I walked in that day and this was a year, you know, two years ago, I walked in that day and I said, instead of saying, wow, there's a lot of actors. I said, wow, there's a lot of jobs. I love that. There's a lot of jobs. Like every single one of these rooms has a casting director in it that's holding an audition. Looking for somebody like me. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So that it, it's a total perspective shift. So in terms of that, yeah, that that's, that's not a, I don't think it's a typical way for an actor to show up. Um, and I think it should be. I think that I think that's the way that we all now all of our listeners everybody gets to show up this way now from now on you stand in your power and 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 live in your biggest possibilities. It's it's been my experience that the universe is so willing to to just provide and provide and provide. Yeah. And it but it holds it back until you demonstrate whether it's energetically or physically in the world that you're ready. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like it's, I feel like there's just this floodgate with, with, for every single one of us of, of just good things and positive energy and supportive energies that are out there that are just waiting to come into our lives. If we would just kind of prove that we could handle it, you know, <laughs> prove that we wouldn't just waste it or not recognize it or something like that. And this may all just be a, you know, the, a, a, a way of looking at things that may all just be in my head, but it seems like that happens I don't know. There's like a feeling inside that when you make that shift and stuff starts happening, you're like, there is intelligence out there and it yeah. does care about me individually. And I am in communication with it yeah. on some level. And it's, it's, well, a lot it's of this pretty stuff, amazing. A lot of this stuff comes up in quantum physics. If you have mm-hmm. people who are like real skeptics, like you can just show them like, yeah. you know, documentaries on quantum physics. What the bleep do we know? You ever see that? Yeah. That one's a little, that one's a little like, um, 
that one leans into it almost too much. What I'm talking about is like literally a, a science documentary on quantum physics. Mm-hmm. If you watch that, but you keep this conversation in mind, it will blow your mind. Cause you're like, wow, the universe really is conspiring to make certain things occur. Mm-hmm. You know, like for instance, gravity, gravity would not exist if it were not for imperfection. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because <clears throat> if it weren't for inf- imperfection, um, all of the molecules would spread out evenly, all or atoms rather would spread out evenly across the entire universe. But because some molecules got close, or some atoms got closer to other atoms, it created mass that eventually collapsed in on itself to create gravity. Like that's imperfection is a core aspect to you know the universe. Like this is like actual stuff that happens in our world around us. And we are made of the stuff we're made. I mean, if you listen to Carl Sagan, we're made of stardust. Mm -hmm. It's not, we're, that's why we're so, you know, connected to these things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, know, speaking of, uh, speaking of, uh, scarcity mindset, it's funny. I had a a revelation about mm, two, three months ago. I love soup plantation. You've, you've been, I'm sure listeners here listening to this have been to soup plantation before, right? Yeah. Amazing place. Uh, you go and there's just like tons of fresh vegetables and soups and stuff. And it's a buffet. So you can eat as much as you want. (laughs) And I, I noticed that every time I go there, I leave with like the biggest stomach ache because I just stuff my face. And I realized that I was coming from a scarcity mindset. I was coming from a, I don't know when I'm going to get to eat like this again. I don't know if I'm going to have money next week to eat like this. You know, I better just get as much as I possibly can right now and just enjoy it, enjoy it, enjoy it. I ended up ruining the experience for myself. And I, I, I realized that I was coming from a place of, of, of me not believing I could create this anytime I wanted to, yeah. you know, and it's stupid. I mean, two plantations, like what, eight, nine bucks, but there was this block in my head. Yeah. And I was like, wow, Trevor, if you want like a plate of spinach, you can go to the store and buy a plate of spinach, dude. It's like two bucks. Like, don't worry about it. You yeah. know, but I would get there and be like, but they don't have the beets and the dressing at the store and I could just do all this here. And it's just, it was so funny. I'm a little bit embarrassed telling this story actually, but it was, it was such a, a huge shift for me to be like, no, Trevor, just, just go and, and have what you want. And if you want to come back later, then you can come back later. Like you are in control of this, man. That's a great real world example. Don't be embarrassed about that. Cause it's a, it's a, per, it's a perfect real world example. <laughs> You're coming from a place of scarcity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, craziness. So I, I'm not going to let you get away without telling the story of the, the, uh, the job you just, oh you my just God. Shot. Okay, cool. What are we at about 19 minutes? Okay. <clears throat> so last weekend I shot a, I, I don't know how much I should say about it. Cause I don't know how much, how many secrets I should give away about how right, it works. Cause it hasn't aired yet. Hasn't aired yet. But you still, I mean, you can talk about your experience. Sure. So I, I, I auditioned and booked a, a, a sketch or a prank on prank my mom, which if anybody's heard of it, it's a lot like punked, but the, the idea is that the kids set their mom up into these situations. <clears throat> yeah. And, um, I'm not, uh, improv is one of my weak spots. It's something I've always kind of felt a little bit unsure about. So when I went into the audition, Says the guy who just booked an improv gig, anyway, I know, go ahead. I know. So I went to the audition and they were like, <laughs> we want, it's all improv. There's no script. I was like, uh-huh, you know, so I went in there and just kind of like winged it and got a call back and, and just kind of winged it again. And, and then ended up, ended up booking this spot where I'm like the leader of the prank right? Like the dude who like has to make everything happen. Like me and like this one other dude in the prank, like make everything happen. And, um, I didn't know how it was going to work. I didn't know if they were going to be feeding us lines. I didn't know what happened. So it turns out we do have an earpiece and they do feed us a lot of the lines, but a lot of it too is just having to interpret those lines into something that's natural. So the mom's not going to call bullshit on it. And right. 
it was the most stressful day I've ever had because you're 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 tricking this woman and and the idea is to get the mom so worked up that she starts crying or she leaves or she gets she wants to fight because that's what good television is you know the mom getting really worked up about this and if you've seen any of these episodes you can see them online I think they're around and I think it's on Lifetime the show um. It's always hilarious when the mom gets really worked up and the actors just keep ratcheting it up and ratcheting it up and ratcheting it up. Like I saw an episode last night where this one of the actors like fake maces the kid with the mom right there because the oh my kid's God. leaning on his car. It's, and it's hilarious because the mom freaks out and she starts hitting him with her purse. And, <laughs> but when you're in that situation and the mom thinks it's real, it's really unsettling. Right. So I, I don't want to say too much about it, but um, I will let you guys know when it airs. Oh, um, but you know what? It's cool because I was really scared of this gig. You know, they called me and they asked for my availability and there was a voice in the back of my head that was like, just tell them you're busy, Trevor. Tell me book something else in that day. Like you, like this is, you don't need to do this. Like a hidden camera show is not going to make or break your career. You know, like all these voices just telling me not to do it. And I was just like, Trevor, you could give into this or you could man up and step out of your comfort zone and do something that scares you. Yes. And so I was like, I, I can't look at myself in the mirror and call myself a man if I don't just just attack this you know what i'm just always going to be afraid of improv is that just what's going to happen right so i just attacked it and i'm I, I felt really good when it was done you know for having for having done that courage is feeling the fear and doing it anyway yes indeed i, I put that in my twitter the day before nice <laughs> like, nice oh, here we go there you go man We have a listener response, really, I guess, that we wanted to briefly touch on on this episode. Um, a listener named Mary that you've met, mm-hmm. um, but I have not. I met her at uh, one of the, one of the tweet-ups. Yeah. Cool, cool. And she seems awesome. Um, left us a voicemail about... She is awesome. About... Uh, <laughs> cool. She, she left us a, vo- a voicemail about this guy, Josh Pace, I think that's how you say his mm-hmm. name. And he's the guy who runs the Committed Impulse thing we were talking <clears throat> about uh, back in like episode 67. That yeah, um, was a while for, ago. For those of you that remember... Uh, this is the guy that was charging 400 bucks an hour for his private acting lessons. And, uh, he's got that whole marketing template for his site and it's called committed impulse. And we were all just like, that's a weak name, I guess. I don't know. That's right? what acting is. That's what acting is. Yeah. Uh, but she said she studied with him and she, she really thinks he's the real deal. Um, it was years ago. And then she also said that he played Raphael in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies. <laughs> and that was where it hit me. Cause I was a huge Ninja Turtles fan as a kid, and Raphael was my favorite one, and I thought he was the best one in the movie. And <laughs> so did Mary. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but that, all that is to say that that she really believes in his in his system. She thinks that yeah, four hundred bucks is a bit much, but um, that he's the real deal. So, uh, just to reiterate that we weren't trying to bash anybody or tear anybody down when we did talk about him, 
but we were curious to hear more about it. And uh, Mary chimed in and, and gave us a little bit more about it. Well, and this is a perfect example of, you know, what we always say that if, you know, if something rubs you the wrong way or you hear something, Harris talking about something on the podcast that you have some input on, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever it is, like we're just two dudes with a podcast. We, our main goal is to create a forum. You know, mm-hmm. and um, you, our listeners, are the ones that get to take advantage of that. You know, you get to, you know, jump onto our Facebook and, and you know, talk to other listeners of the podcast or call into the podcast or email us or whatever. So, um, you know, we uh, we really value and appreciate um, listener input. Cool. We've got part one of our chat with Anthony Mindel or Mindel. I'm not quite sure. I think it's Mindel. I think he's pronounced it Mindel. Oh, really? I think so. I've been saying I've been Mindel. Saying it, saying it wrong this whole yeah. time. Um, but if you don't know him, you should know him. He's pretty incredible. He's written a great book called At Left Brain Turn Right. He's got an amazing story. And he's probably one of the few acting coaches I've ever met who doesn't really talk about acting. He talks about your your life. Mm-hmm. And that really jives with what we've been learning you know, on the podcast over the past year, that you got to have a good life an interesting life, a passionate life to pull from in order to be a good actor. Mm-hmm. And that's really what his focus is, uh, at least in the book and, and the class that I audited. So enjoy the interview, part one, and we'll see you guys on the other side. Hey guys, welcome back. We are sitting here at uh, Anthony Mindell Studios with the man himself, Mr. Anthony Mindell. Um, Very excited to be sitting down and chatting with you because I have to be honest, um, we get a lot of um, uh, pitches from acting coaches, you know, around around the city, and they usually have written a book or developed a system of some kind that they want us to kind of help them promote promote, and uh, we're we're kind of wary of of systems and things like that, and so as you you should be. And then when your when your assistant uh, sent me the book, I was kind of like, okay, here we go, another another system book of some kind. Uh, and when I read it, I was totally floored because it's it's almost not an acting book. So I'm really excited to be sitting down and talking with you because it's you talk much more about um, just living your life as fully as possible, and in that in turn kind of helps uh, or defines rather your acting. Yeah, I, I mean uh, that's that's really what I'm teaching. The thrust of what I'm teaching is getting people to to realize what we're doing in our acting is really what's being asked of you to do and be in your life. I think, I think for some reason acting classes have been taught for so long from this sort of flawed theory that like you go to acting class and it's like this separate subset of life. You know what I mean? Like you just go to class for a couple hours a week and that's your class. But I really, I, I think everything is, connected and it's more cohesive and whole and Mm -hmm. the things that i'm asking students to do in their work really have direct implications for them in their own life so really the questions that i ask have less to do with character and more to do with themselves the the individual actor vis-a-vis the scene circumstantially so you know i think that's the interesting thing i'm i'm really iconoclastic i think in the way that i work and you've sat in and so you see in, in you know the book certainly and i'm all about breaking myths because i think myths keep people from being empowered and i one of the things that i'm really excited about is helping actors become free and get empowered and go for things and be more brave to take risks in ways that they normally don't because their their head or technique tells them they can't so that's really that's what gets me excited and i see it happen all the time and so 
there's science behind it, which we can talk about, you know, later on. But so, yeah, that's what I'm about. And that's what the studio is about. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I loved every page of the book. Um, oh, and, and I, I almost want to square up with you later. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that amazing plug. Yeah. But and thank it, you. Yeah, no, it was really, really wonderful. And, um, it really jives with a lot of what we've been talking about on the podcast recently. You know, when we started this, I think I don't want to put words in your mouth, AJ, but I know that I felt like acting was was kind of the complicated part and that the marketing was the easy stuff you just kind of put together postcards and you get your headshots and your reel and your website and all that and now i feel like it's the opposite i feel mm-hmm. like acting is just telling the truth and the marketing is like well geez how do you how do you get that work out there that's so it kind of flipped around and, and your book really resonated on that level for me but before we even get into that you've got a really kind of cool story from from how you went from from prior to, I guess, really from school, and then you, you kind of went to the, I mean, maybe uh, maybe I'm not remembering this right, maybe but I you, feel like in the book you like traveled the world and, oh, and did all these. Story. All I, this. Thought you, I thought you meant the Wikipedia story. <laughs> There's a Wikipedia <laughs> yes, story. Yes, somebody told me the other day there was. Look oh, me up on Wikipedia. Wow. We'll have to look that. <laughs> <laughs> no. So so yeah, you, you've been to retreats <clears throat> and, and all sorts of stuff. So tell us a little bit about um, your journey. Yeah, you know, it's been. Uh, really crazy and wonderful and a lot of what I have learned and what I teach is that when you give up the idea of what you think something is supposed to be, look like, meaning your life, when you give up the idea of what that's supposed to look like and start really living in and grasping what it is and what it wants to show you what it wants to be then you start living really kind of the life that you're supposed to be living. So for me that's that's always been hard and I think it's hard for a lot of people because it requires you to give up control requires you to trust it, it requires you to go down paths that are completely unknown and foreign to you and require a stepping into like, Oh my gosh, you know, that kind of the unknown, which is a lot of what I teach anyway. So yeah, for me, I mean, just briefly, uh, I, I, I've, I've traveled a lot and a lot of it had to do with my own seeking like spiritually and scientifically and, uh, artistically. And I was, I found that I was, it, certainly in acting training, I felt like I did, I was trained very method and I'm not here to bash the method, but I, I found that I, I didn't understand why teachers were teaching the same things that had been taught for the last 70 years when everything in science and everything in the world itself from a universal principle continues to expand and transform. And so knowledge and learning does, but yet I found that we're still kind of stuck in the 1980s or the 19. 50s or the 1960s, whatever, you know, era that is of applying the same techniques. And even the way I teach, it changes every, I mean, I keep using this principle of, of listening, which is the governing principle, I think being and listening in life, but everything else is constantly explorative. And so part of my seeking it came from this desire to know that there was something else or something more or new ways of looking at things that for some reason people were, were not wanting to say existed. And so, I, and I felt like I can't be saying the same thing that was taught X a number of years ago, you know, when I'm experiencing it in a different way or you know, a lot of times people will tell me like when they're in college or something, you hear the teacher say something or you read a book and everybody is like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I really get that. But I was always the person who would read those famous acting books or whatever. And I was like, I don't get it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, is there something wrong with me? So anyway, that's specifically about acting, but 
for me personally, I just, I went to India a few times and I've done a lot of different kinds of meditation retreats. And then I started studying like a lot of Einstein's theories, although by no stretch of the imagination am I smart. And like, I have to read Einstein for dummies and I'm still not smart enough to understand that. But I found that a lot of his teachings and really interesting quantum, uh, scientists, teachers or scientists are really saying a lot of the things that I found that I was reading in spiritual books and from really great spiritual teachers. So for me, what I'm teaching is an amalgam of really great, inspiring teachers. So some people can understand it from a scientific standpoint. Some people can understand it from a spiritual standpoint. Some people understand it from a technical standpoint, some from an artistic standpoint, but it's all the same. Yeah. I didn't really tell you. I didn't answer your question. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's all good. Oh God, sorry. It's all good. But no, that, that's 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 fantastic. I mean, this 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 approach really kind of grew out of this searching that you've done yeah, personally, that's true. and you've you've been all over the place and read t- and and were, and I feel like you've met a lot of uh, a lot of these people as well that that the spiritual teachers. Yeah, have. no, I have. I've spent a lot of time. I mean, I you know, India is. Um, you know, my Indian friends say that I'm more Indian than they are because, like, I bathed in the Ganges, and they're like, "What are you talking about? You're gonna get sick!" I'm like, "You're crazy!" But I definitely feel a calling to India. But um, you know, I uh, I just had a brain lapse. But I, I think you know, for me, it's I I I I started searching because I, I really felt like whatever happened to the part of me that thought acting and life was supposed to be fun and easy and, you know, getting out of our head and playing and, and dangerous and, and sexy and dynamic and all those things that I think actors, when we start acting, that's why you want to do it. That's the only reason why you want to do it because it's fun. But somewhere along the journey, it becomes no longer fun. And that's not just because of the business, right? I mean, that's one part of the animal, but I think it's also because of the actual technical aspects that sometimes, you know, shackle us and restrain us. So a lot of my searching and obviously the development of of my technique and my way of working with actors was, how do I get back to that little boy that I was that wanted to do it it was as easy as just playing whatever. Yeah, you, they're both nodding their heads saying, yeah. We had a conversation about this yesterday. See, yeah. So, yeah. 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 And you know what I teach you? It's amazing is people are always saying, oh, God, that's what I always thought. Or, oh, I always, that's, that's what I believed. But I didn't really want to trust that because I had someone telling me, no, it has to be this way. And so it's getting back to getting... Get, giving people the permission to do it your way, and then it does become fun again and dangerous and exciting and sexy and weird and human and messy. So it's it's fun and it's also maddening because I see really great actors and see them kind of shut down in the name of technique. So it's about freeing that up, you know. Yeah, it almost sounds like you would. It almost sounds like the actor that would benefit most from working. Uh, with you in that way would be the people who um, you know went to a, a particular school that taught a particular method or went to a particular studio that talk, taught a particular method somebody who's deeply ingrained in oh it has to be done this way it has to be done this way it has to be done this way and sort of freeing them up back to their original instincts yeah I mean I think that's a, a really good way of saying it and I think those people that come here at first they're very challenged by it because they, they don't want to give up the control of the way they've been doing it but then they begin to have insight that, whoa, they really are controlled. And, you know, my acting teacher taught me in New York. She said something that 
has always stuck with me. And she said, you can either be controlling or powerful. You can't be, they're incompatible with being the same thing. They're not, Mm. you know what I mean? And so just like life, when I'm trying to control things, I'm really disempowering myself. Yeah. So power, authentic empowerment comes from just, you have to let go. So I really teach the art of letting go. There are very sort of Zen teachings that, that are so, easy in a way or or they're very simple but it's just not easy to grasp right away Mm -hmm. until you just start to do it you know but i find that that is the thing about life don't you you know like i think things are supposed to be easier than we make them you know like the best relationships i've had were really easy like you know things that you have to really struggle and work at sometimes really kind of give you insight that maybe you need to like let go and let it show you what it wants to be yeah you know yeah yeah, I, I mean, I think life in general should be easy. You yeah. know, if you're struggling all the time, you're, there's something not not vibing. Yeah. Um, what yeah, was well that that's and that to me that's the difficult part is is discovering yourself, who you really are, and what you really believe in, and what you really want. And I think that's where we as human beings tend to pretend not to know things. Well, that's that's yeah. I mean, I, I call people on that all the time because. When I, this came out of my own learning where when somebody would ask me something, I would say, I don't know. I began to realize, like, I always did know. Now, I'm not talking about acting. I'm just talking about in life. But I would say, I don't know, because I wanted to stall for time or I was too scared to say the thing that I was really being honest with myself about, but I didn't want to say out loud because I thought I'd be judged or it would be weird or, you know, I wouldn't be perceived the way I wanted to be perceived. And so I do a lot of work with calling people on, okay, when I ask them something about the scene or something about their life and they say, I don't know. And I said, well, if a part of you did know, what would that part say? And sure enough, they always can answer it. Hmm. So we always do have the answers. That's really what I'm teaching is like, it's not me. I'm sort of like helping facilitate you teaching yourself, but that requires you kind of getting honest in a radical way, which is like, ah, at first, you know, but, but I love that you said that because we do know what was, what was really interesting about the audit that I, that I went to was that I, at first I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I, I was kind of partway through the book and I was digging that, but I didn't know what to expect from the class. And so you know, the, the scenes went up. Some were had been worked on for a bit. Some were kind of brand new. And they, at first, I was like, "Man, this, these scenes are going on a long time." But I, as I watched it, I saw the actors gradually discovering different ways to work the scene. And sometimes it, it would stall a little bit, and other right. times there would be this massive breakthrough, and nobody had to say anything. And it was just like you, kind of gently guiding them to find a different, better way to get through what, whatever they're, they're needing to get through in that, in that scene. Well, I also think, too, like when, when people study here, they begin to see that, whoa, we can get breakthroughs or openings or insights or whatever we want to call them, like, it, like in a second, right? Because everything is as possibilities right at your fingertips. But, and it doesn't really take, I think, a lot of what I'm breaking through is the myth of like, it doesn't take all of that homework and it doesn't take all that preparation. That's not to say that homework and preparation aren't okay. I'm not saying that, but what I help people realize is like, it's really about giving yourself the permission in the moment to try something. And that's a muscle. And when you begin to develop that muscle, then all of a sudden you can, you just 
actors change very quickly. It's just, I think, again, that's why we want to act, which is you're on set and you try something and the director says, okay, let's try it this way. And then you're free and you try it that way. But sadly, a lot of actors can't do that. That's why they don't work is because the director will give them an adjustment and they can't take the adjustment. And you can't take the adjustment because you're playing an idea of what you think this person sounds like and what the text is supposed to come out sounding like and your ideas of it. And so that's what I dismantle. And that's why it's, you know, it's really, it's great opportunity for failure, but failure is really creating a deeper muscle, you know, I find. So it's exciting um, and very anti, you know, traditional way of working. Anti-system. Yeah, it's very, I'm not really into institutionalized teaching in any form. Yeah. I just, I, I'm, you know, I think one of the blogs that I wrote about is like, you know, I find that LA or life in general, but maybe LA specifically is like, do we ever graduate from high school? And, you know, I don't like, I mean, high school was fine for me. It's not like I had a tragic high school or anything, but it wasn't like Carrie and I had, you know, pig's blood dropped on my head. But like, I I find that anything that keeps us feeling like we're on the outside looking in, I like to break those. I just want people to feel inclusive. I don't like exclusionary things. Do you know what I mean? I don't think anybody does really, but I think some institutions thrive on that. They don't realize it, or maybe they do realize it, and it's okay for them. Well, that becomes a feature. Oh, uh-huh, yeah. The that's exclusion true. becomes a feature. It's like, uh, you know, this is a very um, elite, elite, yeah. you know, yeah, place. Yeah. And so that's, and you have to get to this certain yeah. point in order to be part of this cr- club. Yeah. And so it makes people want that even more. The IP. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So it's a marketing. But haven't you ever found, too, that, like in life, you get into the inner circle and then you're like, is this it? <laughs> Can I cuss on here, by the way? Is yes, this rated G? Oh, okay. Like WTF? No, I'll just keep it. I'll keep it PG. But like, you know what I mean? Like, this is what I've been, you know, climbing over fences and you know, like knocking everybody out of the way just to get in here. Now I'm here, and I'm like, is this really it? So it's for me about demystifying that, you know? Yeah. 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 What What I loved also about about your book was that it it kind of cut right to the heart of of something that's kind of been in my life recently, which is feeling super distracted by all this, everything, just like the Ugh, technology, the iPhones, the fa- you know, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. And, and the first, I think, exercise, because your book is, is 15 weeks of, of basically 15 exercises, one per week. Yeah. Um, and it starts with turn off your phone and just kind of be with yourself for a little bit and, and see what happens and, and feel the panic arise and then just kind of let it pass and breathe. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's all this science now that supports not only what I'm teaching just technically, but also, yeah, just that, like they're, they're talking about how culturally we're becoming hard, so hardwired to, uh, all these things that you're talking about, technology, that we are actually suffering from ADD, you know, and I myself, even though I meditate, I'm, I'm feeling that as well. And I, I turn off my phone and and I, you know, like I'm looking at this on your console there, those lights are flickering and like, you know what I mean? It just reminds me of the phone when we see our phone flashing, I got a message like, yeah, you know, yeah. so it is, it's interesting. You're talking about the panic and yeah, some people are really sleep with their phones. 
You know, um, I read somewhere, I, I lectured about this, I read somewhere that they, there's a new study out that when people say that they're going to go to bed, they actually bring their phones to bed, and they're not. The first 30 minutes, they actually, when normally, like let's say five years ago, those 30 minutes would already be designated to sleep. Those 30 minutes are actually on their phone reading tweets and looking on Facebook posts. I and, believe it. Wow. And where did I read that? In bed, when I was supposed <laughs> to be asleep. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's true. With the irony. So I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we have to really sort of I think fine I mean there's a place for all that but I think it's really important for us to like you know I, and for some reason it's also acceptable like I could be talking to you and you're like doing a number of things you know you're Facebooking and sexting and you know doing things instead of being with me and I, I don't think anything is that important you know yeah so and I'm not the only one who talks about this but it, I, I do find it interesting that we allow that in relationships. Yeah. I mean, we had a, we had almost the exact conversation with Alan Barton over at yeah. Beverly Hills Playhouse, like almost this exact conversation amongst many, many other things, but just about, you know, being that person who I, I think Trevor used the, the scenario of somebody gets on an elevator and immediately pulls out their phone and, and that's it. There's no, there's no human, yeah. there's no human. Well, it, it, it's, a, it's an awkward situation to be in a small <laughs> confined space with someone like that, but it's like, how about you conquer that? Right. You know, instead of escaping into your phone, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, um, well, they, they also, if I can interrupt, yeah, they also say too, that there's now a new profile, a personality profile. Like, let's say you're at the Starbucks. Like if you notice, like people can't just be, which is actually the art of what I'm teaching, the art of being. And you see that there, so there's this uh, psychological term for people who they actually get on their phone. And even if they don't, if they're not even doing anything, there's no email or anything like that because they're, they feel that they're being perceived as being more important or professional or successful if they're actually doing something on their phone. Isn't that crazy? I yeah. saw, I saw, uh, I had lunch the other day at this salad place in Brentwood and I, there's this kind of, you know, good looking girl who came in and sat down next to me and I was with a friend. Um, and I just, just kind of noticed her because she took her iPhone out and you know how the iPhone has a proximity sensor. So when you hold it up to your face, if you're on a phone call, the screen goes dark. Oh, okay. Her screen was on the whole time and she was eating <laughs> oh. with the phone to her for, for like 20 minutes you and just called not, her not looking That's around. Hilarious. Not, and I was just kind of like, what, what, oh, what no. are you, what are you hiding? Like, it's kind of sad though. Yeah, it? it was, it was, it was interesting. But what, what really bakes my noodle about the cell phone thing is somebody gave me language around this and it really kind of crystallized it for me. Was it when you, when you are distracted as we are by all these things, you're not taking in the nutrients of a place or a situation or a person. And that is what we draw all of our art and inspiration and creativity from. So a lot of people say like, I have writer's block. I'm choked up creatively. I, I, I don't know where these things. And it's like, well, what has your brain been been fed the yeah. past couple of weeks is it just like twitter for three hours a day is it facebook for three hours a day are you constantly just every five minutes checking to see if somebody's telling you what to do in your email it's and yeah, it, that's deep but yeah but but taking in the nutrients i thought was really a good way to think about it because you need to feed something healthy to your brain otherwise you're just eating junk food all day and you got nothing to show for it well it's also i mentioned in the book like we we're connected because we are because i can you know, Skype with somebody in Moscow and then tweet you and you're on vacation or whatever. And so we feel connected, but we lack connection. And so I think that's also the compulsive drive to continue to do more of that. You still try to continue to tweet more and Facebook more and, and message people more because you 
our, our DNA is connection in being with other people, but we're mistaking being technologically hooked up that that's going to fulfill that. And it's not, it's like, so you keep doing more and that it doesn't satiate you. So you keep doing more. And that's kind of the, I think the viral, the virus effect of it that, you know, I don't know. It will be interesting what, what it does to us as people. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny (laughs) that you use the word connection though, because one of the things I was going to add to what you just said, Trevor, is it, 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 for me, it's not just about taking in things around you, but the other thing is like what I, the philosophy that I'm, uh, that I want to live by, uh, now is, um, you give what you want to get. Mm-hmm. So if you're not giving of yourself, if you're not connecting with other humans, if you're not seeing where you can be of service to other people, like you're not, you're not receiving, you're not, it. You're not receiving yeah. anything. Yeah. And, and you know, what is acting if not giving, receiving, listening, responding? Totally. You know? Yeah. So. Who knew you guys were so deep? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you guys have girlfriends? You should have girlfriends. All the girls call the live wire now. Tweet them. I'm serious. Unless you're both taken and that, then I'm, your girlfriends are going to hate me now. But no, you guys are awesome. Oh, well, well thank you. you. Know, I'm embarrassing uh, them. They're turning red right now, those, <laughs> you listeners. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit more about um, your journey as an actor. And uh, so you also uh, act and produce now as I well. I do. I just and actually... some directing, I believe? I, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny um, because actually I, I just finished my first feature. Uh, I wrote and I directed and I produced and I acted in. And we just premiered... Well, we premiered in Europe in the fall, but then our North American premiere was in Honolulu a couple weeks ago. And weirdly connected to this whole technolo- technology story. Uh, I was staying in a hotel right on the beach and I went to the beach and I was coming back from the beach and the hotel's like pool area like reaches the beach. And I swear to God, you guys, I was walking back and every single person laying out by the pool was on their phone at the same time. I was like, what? Look at this view. And anyway, so, um, but yeah, so I was, uh, the movie's called birds of a feather. You can, you can see the trailer on, uh, YouTube and, um, it's really funny. It's got some really funny actors in it. Um, and it came out of the work here at the studio, like all the actors in it, with the exception of a couple of them are all actors here. And, um, some well-known actors and some not. And it just was really, it's amazing because I think what I'm doing, what we're creating here is it's like a community, like sort of like the kind of work that I'm inspired by is having a, you know, a community of actors that you keep going to because you have such a shorthand with them, you know, sort of like John Cassavetes or, you know, theater companies in New York that, you know, the drama department was a, a company in the nineties that always Ethan Hawke and Cynthia Nixon were, were a part of. And I think it's really exciting to have an ensemble, so yeah, that was my first feature. I've done a few shorts and, um, and I acted in it and, you know, I don't, I really am more excited about my writing and my directing and I put myself in it because it was just one less actor to direct. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but what was funny is by the end of it, it's basically a, a, about a, it's a story about a group of actors who try to put on a Broadway musical and everything that could go wrong goes wrong. And at the end, like the last 20 pages of the script or so, my character, uh, he suffers from severe stage fright and stage anxiety. And I, 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 we were, it was like a punishing schedule and having to wear all those hats. It was like, you know, it was hard, but fun. But I remember I was like, you know, why don't my, my, my character, let's just let him be comatose the last 10 pages. And so I did like my character doesn't speak or do anything so that I could be behind the camera more often. But let me tell you, playing comatose is really hard. It's not, it was harder than actually speaking dialogue because it has to be real, but so yeah, no, it's fun. Um, 
Yeah, and I have a couple other projects that are in development and something else we had the financing for a couple of years ago and then it all fell apart and I'm, you know, sort of getting that back on the, the rails again and it's exciting. It's all come out of the studio. That's great. I'm curious to hear what you think about where um, where the industry might be going now with all this kind of newfangled social media and yeah. new media stuff. Because well, clearly you're creating your own work um, and I'm sure you encourage your students to do the same, but where, where do you see things going, uh, trending? Yeah, well, you know, it's been interesting for this movie because we've been out on the film festival circuit and I've taken meetings with di- different distribution companies and I've learned a lot. Like the learning curve has been steep. Um, you know, I think at least for independent independent films it's really changing so quickly and the platforms through which to get your work seen even though that's diversifying and expanding it's also i mean i know some filmmakers and some producers who have a track record of stuff that are really having a hard time getting their movies sold or getting them picked up and and also the traditional way of like let's say you get your movie into sundance or whatever that's that that's no longer a guarantee of of it getting a release or even getting picked up so I mean, you know, yes, there are more outlets like video on demand options and um, different, I think, uh, uh, what would you call them? Um, you know, websites that have like stream content. So they're, but it's also finding the right match. And even, you know, I'm finding that companies like that, there's still so much of them. It's about the bottom line. So it's, it's very interesting. It's, 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 it's all new learning and having to just, I met with these two producers the other day who literally have done like five pretty well-known independent movies and they themselves now they, in this last movie, they themselves have started their own distribution company because they can't get the movie distributed. So they're, they're writers and for you. Yeah. They're (laughs) like, these two women are amazing. Um, and it just goes to show you like it's the mother of invention. You do what you have to do to create a platform to get your work out there. You know, I think the good thing is, is that we have technology so that we have access that people can go, you know, just go shoot something. But I think it's also kind of been a detriment because that means there's just so much more stuff, stuff that nobody really cares about needs to be seen, but it takes airtime. And like, so it's a really interesting time, isn't it? Like, yeah, well, I, I I was going to, um, jump on the this the statement you made about it all being about the bottom line because it always is and always has been about yes. the bottom line. I think the difference today, uh, and you guys are welcome to agree with me, I, I, I want to start this conversation, but I think the difference today is no one knows where the hell the bottom line is. Do you know what I'm saying? Like no one knows how to create that bottom line. No one knows how to monetize uh, the new media stuff. No, one, no one's That's got true. the right formula right right now. You know, and everybody's looking for it. Everybody thinks they have it, and everybody's trying to, you know, reach for it. And Netflix is coming out with their own original content. YouTube's coming yeah, out with their own is. original content. Hulu. It's, yeah, Hulu's right, coming yeah, out with yeah. their own original content. It's, it's, um, it is a really fascinating time. But um, we had the same exact conversation with Alan Barton again about just like it, the the whole like residuals model just completely yeah, exploding. Completely and so, where where do you kind of? stand on this and where do you sort of see it going? Well, you know, I think my initial thought on that was, again, I think just because of the sheer volume of content, I think that's why it's it's very hard for content producers or, or uh, you know, companies that would you know, traditionally, like for instance, I've, I've done a couple shorts and one short I actually sold to, to Logo a couple years ago 
and, uh, you know, which is owned by Viacom MTV. And I, it was a great deal for me. And I contacted them about this feature and they were like, we don't even acquire, first of all, they, they got rid of the, their whole shorts program, which was an amazing program for filmmakers. It was called the, the click list, the best in short film series. And that's gone. And they used to acquire films by independent filmmakers. That whole arm is now gone. So it's really fascinating. I can't speak for every company, but for, for them, a lot of it is about moving toward like reality programming, which costs no money. And for some reason, everybody wants to watch. I mean, I, I, so I don't know. I'm not doom and gloom. I'm like one of the most positive people I think about, you know, if you create something meaningful, it will find its audience because it will. But I think it's like, there's going to be, you're going to have a, it's like, you know what I also teach actors is like, it's the same. Every, it's all relative. Oh God, I just had another uh, story. Here's an interesting story. Um, when, in Hawaii, one of the movies that premiered there was a movie called Cloudburst. I don't know if I can talk about this on air. I'm sure I can. Anyway, it stars Olympia Dukakis, who won an Academy Award, and, and uh, a Brenda Fricker, who also won an Academy Award for My Left Foot. And it's sort of like a, a grandmotherly Thelma and Louise. It's really funny and moving and they have a, a big distribution company who's distributing it. And I talked to Olympia. Olympia's she plays a small role in my movie, so we're friends. And I called her afterwards to say she was really funny in it. She's like this truck driving, like potty mouth, like bull dyke. Like she's really funny and like every other word out of her mouth is a swear word and really bad swear words, right? You know, whatever the word bad word means. But anyway, so they have like seven countries that want to release the movie. And apparently the distribution the, the distributors want the director to completely re-edit the movie and cut out all of her objectionable language so that it is like TV friendly. And then they can sell it to a network and not really a network. Like maybe the director would even want, you know, doesn't feel like it's the right match for his project. And what I think is interesting about that is it just goes to show you, you can have a really great, project and here people are trying to find a way of you know they don't care about the art of it i mean the filmmaker is really upset obviously because he'd have to go in and like olympia's character there would be no character her character is a swearing character so you take that out what do you have as a movie so i guess i went off on this tangent because i think actors sometimes feel like they're the only ones that are facing rejection and that constantly you're going on auditions and you're getting a no and getting a no and getting a no and i think my whole thing is every no gets you closer to a yes. But I also use these stories as examples so that actors realize like it's the same, no matter who you are in the business, you know, it's all relative, you know, like you're going to be faced with people telling you, you can't do it and it's not going to work that way. And you just have to keep forging forward until you find the right match. I think the thing is, is just like for actors is you just have to keep getting your work in front of as many people as possible. So that's, that's just, it's just sheer numbers. So like for me as a filmmaker, okay, I'm doing the festival circuit and eyes are getting on it. And then I'm taking meetings with distribution companies and eyes are getting on it. And I'm meeting with other people who have, you know, different access to different platforms and maybe a 50 of them will say no, but there's another 50 after that. And, you know, you just have to keep moving forward. Yeah. That takes a, you know, the constitution of, of artists, I think it really requires you to just, you have to, you can't give up. You know, I think that's the key is most people stop after one rejection because you take it personally. 
I know at one level it kind of sucks, but you just have to like who 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 made somebody the <laughs> arbiter of your talent? You know what I mean? That's the other thing we have to break through. Just because the president of a huge company says, no, I don't like you, I don't want to represent you, or you're not going to get this job, that doesn't mean that you're not a fantastic actor and that there's not a place for you. And I think like the, the really great actors that have broken through are people who've heard all that as well and just said, screw you, I'm going to do it anyway. We, we have an a say, a informal saying on the podcast that there's no such thing as rejection. Because if you go in to audition for a role, you didn't have the part before you went in, you don't you have don't the part have after. after you leave. Yeah. Nothing changed. Yeah, that's true. Except that you got a chance to kind of show your stuff and improve, your, improve that muscle, you know? You know, and for me as a director, I remember actors. And so we, there was one role that uh, I couldn't cast in the studio. And I used two really great casting directors here in L.A. And I, they, they brought in a number of women for this role. And I remember those actors. So when I have another project that one of them is right for, you know, that's what it is. It's like just getting seen by people. Hi guys, welcome back. Hopefully you dug uh, part one of our interview with uh, Anthony <laughs> Mindel. Mindel. Um, no, I'm just kidding. We just don't want to butcher it. Yeah. We just don't want to butcher it. We want to know how to sell. We'll go back and double check. No, I had a great time. This was a... The timing of this interview was unreal because I would not have been vibing with him the way that I was had I not just gone through yeah. this this experience of uh of MITT and you know sort of self discovery it would have been a very different conversation a very different conversation so yeah, yeah. um look forward to, to part 2 um it just keeps getting better yeah great dude with a lot of wisdom to share and again uh, if you get a chance to pick up his book it's totally worth it at left brain turn right we'll make sure we have a link on the website i i read it and at first i was kind of like what, you know, what is this? Like, I, this isn't an acting book, and that's the whole point. So, as I got more into it, I was like, "Wow, this is this is, this is what it, this is really what it's all about." You know, like you can be told how to stand and talk and deliver lines and where to place your voice and all that stuff, and that's important. But that's like five percent, two percent of the of the soup. You know, like the rest of is is just drawing from your experiences. You know, if you've never had your heart broken or you've never been uncomfortable. To, uh, but if you're human, you will have experienced those things. Yes. Yeah. Well, we hope so. You know, as whether you, you put it in, whether you put it in a box and lock it up to protect yourself mm-hmm. or not is uh, is the real question. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Vulnerability is huge, especially on camera. Absolutely, and that's what his book and his work is all about. So, good stuff. Sweet, <clears throat> Senor. Me, you pick, pick of the week. Pick of the week. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I'll go first. Okay. Um, Saw a great documentary a few weeks ago called Forks Over Knives. Ah, yeah. I'm sure that uh, many of our listeners have seen it. You've seen it? Uh, I have not yet, but okay. I, I know what it's. I mean, I know what it's about, and it's on my list of documentary. I've been watching a lot of food documentaries lately. Um, I, I saw this one called Fresh recently, um, in which best quote I've heard in a really long time. It was uh, the only thing that Americans fear is inconvenience. <laughs> oh, it's so true. It's so true. It's so uh, true, yeah. Yeah, anyway, so Forks Over Knives, I mean, it's on my list. Um, yeah. So. Really, really fascinating stuff. I bought a book called The China Study years and years ago when I was really into uh, learning about food and where it comes from and what kind of effect it has on our bodies and the environment at large and, you know, morally, like what happens to the production of food, all that stuff. So the, the book The China Study is one of the most comprehensive studies ever done on nutrition. It spans several decades and several different uh, cultures. 
And it, it just looks at, you know, what's causing disease, what's causing cancer, what's causing wow. people to get fat, what's causing wow. le- lethargy, you know, like what's, what's causing these things. And it drew some startling conclusions. And this book, this movie, I should say, is really the, the movie version of the book, very condensed and very kind of simplified. Um, but it, it's the most important stuff. There's no graphic stuff of animals being tortured or maimed or anything like that. It's all about like the foods you eat and how they affect your body. And, uh, pretty, pretty, you know, mind blowing stuff. So worth checking out. Cool. Pick of the week. It's on uh, Netflix instant for those of us who have Netflix instant. Yeah. You can just pull it up there. Awesome. Possum. What do you got, dude? Uh, my pick of the week is uh, a parable. Actually, it's a book. You can, um, just Google it. You can probably find a, a electronic version online or you can uh, buy it in the store if you really like it. Um, some of our listeners may have read it before. It's called Who Moved My Cheese? Um, it's by uh, a doctor, a PhD by the name of Spencer Johnson. Um, and it is um, basically a parable about um, these four creatures, two um, mice and two little people, tiny humans, um, who uh, live in a maze and are in the search for cheese in that maze. And cheese can represent various things in your life. It could represent money. It could represent you know a job. It could represent uh, relationships. Whatever it is for you, um, you can reread it multiple times and it might mean different things at different times. I've already read through it twice. Really, all it is is, is a really gr- amazing way to kind of change the way that you look at change. So if change in your life is scary um, or makes you frustrated or causes you to react in a certain way, this um, book will um, will hopefully uh, allow you to identify that and maybe um, work toward a, a better way of the a better way to react to, to change. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I feel like as actors, change I mean change is a, is a change is a constant ha 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 um for everybody for every human i mean there's always change in the world but i think as as actors one thing that might be analogous to cheese in this in this book is um auditions and and jobs bookings you know we go to an audition we go to a callback where we've got our eye on the prize the cheese and then you know it gets moved and we don't book that job uh so i think that um this can be a really valuable tool for yeah. for an actor. I read that book. Uh, I think I was in college when I read that book. My yeah. dad had it, and it's really good stuff. It, there's a, a, a not a quote, but like a a paradigm rather that I read in a, that book, Maximum Achievement. Mm-hmm. I've been mm-hmm. I've been uh, telling you about. I've yeah. really read it a couple of times now, and in it, uh, the author says, anytime you come up against a hardship, whether it's change, whether it's a difficult situation, whether you just feel you've been taken advantage of. You know, some, somebody did something mean to you and you're just upset about it. He says the instant way to like neutralize any negative feelings about it is just to say to yourself, I am responsible. What am I going to do about it? Mm. And I think that's, that's really the crux of it. You know, yeah. I mean, this book is such a great illustration for that, but I mean, yeah. if you, I, I've tried that, you know, a couple of times where I've been like, man, like this sucks that I just, this happened or I just lost this money or whatever. And I'm like, I'm responsible. What am I going to do about it? It's like, yeah. Oh Okay. <laughs> yeah. Shit. No one's coming to the rescue. You know, that's a huge part of um of MITT as well as just coming from a place of responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, as opposed to coming from a place of being being the victim, playing victim to your circumstances. So, like, you know, how am I responsible for everything that I create in my life? You know, I was I had an opportunity to talk to some family yesterday. Went to a family event, 
And, um, I found out, I didn't know this, but two of my cousins haven't spoken in three years. Hmm. And, um, I told an apparent, and a, you know, of course, according to this cousin I was speaking to, it was the other cousin's fault. Right. And I said, okay, cool. So is that relationship important to you? Yeah. Okay. Why haven't you called them? If it's to be, it's up to me. Like if you, mm-hmm. if you want that relationship to work and you want it to be, and you say it's important to you, then you get to take responsibility and reconnect with that person. What did they say? They were, they, it, they, they didn't say anything, but the look on their face was one of which of one of like, I already knew that and was unwilling to admit it to myself. Hmm. Hmm. You know what I mean? Some people, and it's important to note that, and I'm not saying this about your cousins. This is just kind of generally speaking. I think some people are addicted to the drama. You know, you ever meet those people who yeah. just, they're, they're addicted to their story. Like you yeah. know, their story is that they're taken advantage of, mm-hmm. you know, people disrespect them. It's hard. Life is hard. You know, whatever you want to fill in there and that's their story. And if something good happens to them, they'll find a way to make it about how people take advantage of them. You know, so it's, it's interesting. It's not just about being addicted to the story and addicted to the drama. I think at the core of it all is you're addicted to your limitations. Mm, Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. And you fight for them harder than you fight for your greatest possibilities. So like you will, you will literally in order to stay in your comfort zone, you will fight tooth and nail for your greatest limitations. Often subconsciously. <clears throat> yeah, well, because you're just used to living that way. Yeah, it's just it's just automatic at that point. Yeah. It's just habitual, and so you need an interruption. Yeah, there is so much good stuff that we that AJ and I have been talking about that we're actually putting into an ebook. Yeah, we were going to make an announcement about this a little bit earlier, but didn't because we got talking about other things. But uh, we're putting together a book that's kind of kind of be a kickstart guide. Mm-hmm. We've decided to kind of format it in like a, a, a two week. You know, here's an action you can take every day. Um, to kind of get your career, you know, kickstarted. And, uh, of course in that we combine a lot of things we've learned personally, as well as the things we've learned from guests. And we'll have a reference in each chapter for, you know, for, to learn more about this directly from the person we heard it from, listen to episode, bam, 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 bam. Yeah. So, um, we're and really, also reading recommendations, yeah, oh yeah, from, reading our recommendations. Picks from our picks of the week. And we're, we're super excited about it. And we want you guys to know that we're working on that and uh, are very excited to be bringing it to you. And we hope that, uh, you find it valuable. Definitely. So I guess that that's it then. Yeah. Episode 72. Rock and roll. Sweet. So if you guys uh, dig the podcast, lots of different ways you can get in touch with us uh, and support us. You can start by going to our website at insideactingpodcast.com where you can find all the episodes. You can leave us a comment there or, of course, you can email us at insideactingpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, both of which are Inside Acting. So it's facebook.com slash insideacting or twitter.com slash insideacting. Or you can find us at our individual accounts. I'm at twitter.com slash digitalactor. And I'm twitter.com slash Trevor Algott. Uh, we are on iTunes, of course. We always, always, always appreciate a good review over there. Uh, so feel free to search for Inside Acting on iTunes and Hit the fifth star there if you could. The five-star <laughs> review. If you don't like what we're doing, if you feel like, God, these guys only deserve two stars, we just ask that you let us know what you don't like before you leave that review. I mean, of course, you're entitled to do whatever you want, but it'd be nice if you told us why you were going to do that. Yes. And then let us fix it so you can then give us a five-star yes. review. Yes. Help us improve. Help us improve. Yes, indeed. Uh, us improve. And, of course, we're on Actor Rated as well. Uh, you can uh, find us on ActorRated.com. Just search for Inside Acting, and you can leave us a review and rating there. Awesome. And, uh, of course, we have our voicemail 
at uh, 213-2-ACTORS. That's 213-222-8677. And last but certainly not least, you can always, always, always uh, support the podcast uh, monetarily by leaving a donation. Um, You can find the donation button on our website at InsideActingPodcast.com. Any amount helps and goes directly back into making this a better podcast for you. And, um, of course, as an education expense and or a write-off, or I mean and or a donation, it is a write-off. So you can write it off on your taxes, anything that you donate to us um, on a a, a single lump sum basis or on a recurring monthly basis. Yeah. We call our our recurring recurring donations patrons, and we have a little page set up on the website where you can learn more about those people who support the podcast on a monthly basis. And we love them, and every penny you guys give us goes directly back into the podcast and... Uh, we, we couldn't be doing it anymore without that. Literally, nope. we would have stopped uh, probably maybe just 10 or 12 episodes in, I think. <laughs> it's not cheap to do this, uh, and we love doing it, and um, we can only do it with uh, help from our listeners. So, yeah, thank absolutely. you. That does it then. Okay. Episode 72. Cool. Wow. Uh, I'm Trevor Algott. I'm AJ Meyer. We'll see you next week, and in the meantime, live in abundance. Yeah.